Let me share this first. So on Monday morning, I attended a rally, like a protest at the Capitol. Um, I've never done something like that before. Um, but it was with a group that was there to um, encourage lawmakers to push forward a bill out of committee to a vote at the House to raise the age limit to buy uh, AR-15-style guns, weapons. I'm from Allen, Texas. Grew up about two minutes around the corner from the outlet mall where the shooting the most recent huge shooting took place, um, had been at that H&M with my sister, I don't know, within the year. That's like where we park if we go. Um, and uh, every time there's a shooting, um, I always think like, okay, this is my tipping point where I'm going to like be more involved. And I've, I've done lots of things like sent letters to encourage people to vote and, I don't know, posted to my stories and um, voted my own way for people that I wanted to make that a priority. Um, but I often, even I could tell on Sunday night and Monday when I was like, oh, should I go, should I not, that I kind of get stuck in the cycle of like, it doesn't matter. Like, what, who am I? What am I going to get done? Like, there's these, like, rich people in, you know, making our decisions for us, and, and they're so, have all the power, like, what, what can I do? And so it's really easy for me to get stuck in that cycle, and so um, deciding to go felt very, like, empowering on Monday, and I had all this energy, and I'm sure if you, like, follow me on Instagram, you're like, okay, now we're a gun control account, but it's all right, you know? And so, um, yeah, and so ultimately the bill did make it out of the committee, which was really huge. It made national news. It sounds like a small thing for a small bill, but there were families there on Monday from Uvalde that have been pushing. This would have right, potentially changed the course of their children's lives had this already been um, instated. And so it was really a big deal that it even made it out of committee. That gives hope for future, I think, uh, my understanding, even though it, you know, didn't make it to a vote, and, and likely wouldn't have made it out of the House here. And so um, kind of what I want to talk a little bit about today is how even like our small actions, our small like willingness um, to resist, to show love, can, can sometimes lead to something much bigger. And um, when I was at the Capitol, um, a lot of people, like hun hundreds of people there, it was a, a huge um, group, I think, um, but almost all of them were women, almost all. And it was very much a sounding of women's voices saying all of the things, raise the age, you know, save our kids, whatever it was, it, was, it sounded like a group of women. It was beautiful, and I was so moved by it. Um, and it reminded me of a book that our book club read last year. And it's, you know, y'all can... Anyway, my Spanish is really terrible, but the book is called Abuelita Faith, and... Um, we read it as a book club, I think, a year ago, and um, she tells a lot of stories of women over time who have started these huge movements, who have been involved in liberation, who have been involved in changing so much that that, like, um, kind of become, like, the backbone of movements, often. Um, and so it made me think of this book, and it made me think... So the, what she means... She means lots of things, but one of the things she means by abuelita faith is sort of the... Um, She's talking about, like, the generational wisdom of, like, our grandmothers, of our ancestors, but also women who are marginalized, right, who do have decidedly had no voices and, or, or small, you know, not given a voice, I guess. And so, um, anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about one of the chapters from her book. Um, Kat Armas is the author. She's a Cuban-American theologian and writer, 
A lot of what we're going to talk about was inspired by her, but I'll, I'll give some quotes too. But the chapter that I um, am referring to, it's called Mujeres of Exodus. And so we're going to read from Exodus 1 about some women who did some small things and big things and, and changed the course of the Exodus story. So if y'all want to go to Exodus 1, um, I'm going to read the first chapter in full. So... Uh, and I will apologize if I say all the names wrong. I'm not going to try to do it right. I mean, I am going to try to do it right. But. Okay, Exodus 1. These are the names of the son of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them but they, left the, they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Okay, let's walk through the story just a little. So there is, I don't know, a new king, this unnamed Pharaoh. Um, and, and some stuff I read said this story probably represents like a few different pharaohs of time. I don't know if I said that right. But, um, and so they're mad about the Israelites. Why? What are, what's, what's upsetting them? Yeah. Yeah, the, it says the land was filled with them. There's too many. Um, and so what does, I don't know, what does Pharaoh do first? What is his first attempt to, to ruin the, the multiplication of the Israelites? Yeah, he en enslaves them, forces them um, to labor, and then does that work? And so he goes on, and uh, I don't know if there are really only two midwives or, or what, but he he. He gets in touch with some midwives and asks them to kill, right? And so it was sort of, my mind wonders, like, 
why he's asking them, like, surely there's an army that could do this, or um, it's like, does he want it to look like an accident? I don't know. I had a lot of questions with that. But Shipra and Pua choose to not kill um, these innocent babies. Um, and, and what do they tell Pharaoh? I really love this part. What do they tell Pharaoh is the reason? Right, catch that? The women are too vigorous in birth. It's like we all have friends who didn't make it to the hospital or, <laughs> you know, the midwife didn't make it. But um, it says that the midwives feared God. So other translations said they respected God. Um, they were in awe of God. And so they chose um, this act of deceit. And so the, the final thing in this chapter um, that Pharaoh decides to throw every boy into the Nile, right? That's the new rule. And so that kind of leads us to the next um, chapter, which I think y'all will be familiar with this story. I'm going to start in um, chapter 2 and just read through uh, verse 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child he was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So again, in this story, we have women who are resisting um, Pharaoh. Moses' mother, who later is named, um, her name is Jochebed, Jochebed, his sister Miriam, and Pharaoh's daughter, who's not named in the Bible, but um, Jewish tradition has named her Bethiah, which means daughter of God. And now in the story, we have not only the marginalized women, right, but privileged women. Pharaoh's daughter is, is joining in. She didn't ignore the injustice. She chose to resist and do what was right in protecting those who cannot protect themselves. Um, and because of all of these women, because of their acts, um, Moses grows from a child to an adult and then leads um, the Israelites, right, in liberation out of Egypt. This is what Kat Armas says. She says, through the behind-the-scenes subversive work of their hands, the midwives teach us that the lowliest in society can bring about the most change, that they can be agents of healing, and that liberation is the heartbeat of God. So there's so many things we could talk about in these two stories, right? We could go like a lot of directions. Um, even one that I found really interesting that Armas talks about in her book is that um, even we can read the Bible with decolonized thinking, which could lead us to wonder about the other side of the story, not just wonder about the Hebrews, not just wonder about the Israelites and their story, um, but we could also think about Canaanite, the Canaanites and like through their eyes, right? We could be honest, name that tension that was there. Um, and there's so much more. But I think today what I found just interesting or um, kind of sparked imagination in me was that God blessed these women in their civil disobedience, right? In their acts of deceit. 
Um, it's really different than what I've been taught like a God-fearing woman or person would be, right? Like to lie, to go against, um, to go against the people in charge. And um, I'm not interested in it to say like, see, we're like, so I could justify some specific thing, but more just to like broaden what it can look like. Um, I love how Armas, she says this, this is yet another reminder of how nuanced faith is how God meets God's people in their complex reality of what it means to do right and live justly. Through their defiance, their stories become stories of abuelita resistance and abuelita survival that secure the future of their families. But more than that, their stories are stories of embodied wisdom, creativity that bring forth healing and justice. Her words remind me of the scripture that we have written I don't know if you've noticed ever, but for a year now, it's been written on the um, chalkboard outside, and it's from Micah 6.8, and it says, And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And in the scripture before in Micah, the, the writer is like asking all these questions like, should I do this? Should I do that? Burn offerings or give my firstborn? And then the verse ends. It says, He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly? Um, there's a lot in me that really wants to reject any kind of message that's like too much like, so do better or whatever, you know, especially on Mother's Day, like sucks. But like, you know, there's a lot that I don't want to do anything that like brings guilt or shame or adds anything to your like to-do list. We're like, oh, okay, you know whatever, call a pediatrician, walk humbly with God. Like, that's not what I'm here to do today or ever. Um, I know so many of us are really worn out and um, feeling like we're not doing enough. And maybe, like, the dream of who we thought we would be as adults, like at 22, like what we thought, how we thought we would live and love, what our lives would look like is totally different because we're just living our lives each day, right? Coaching football and picking our kids up from school and just working our jobs that we love or hate or whatever, you know? And it can feel like, how, how am I 38? What have I done, right? There's that peace that comes up in that. And um, I also want to, to, to reject that because I really believe that what has to come first is our believing that we're loved by God. Like, that's the step one. And then kind of from the overflow, right? That's where it comes. And so I'm hoping maybe we can see this as an invitation or like an offering. Um, the, the, the stories of these women, the verses in Micah. And so again, like there's no list that I'm going to offer. Actually, I probably am going to offer a list, but there's no like specific list. There's no like, this is what you have to do um, to do these things. And I think what's beautiful is in this snapshot of resistance is it's like the midwives resisted as midwives in the work that they were already doing. They loved and acted and gave and resisted this terrible thing, right? Miriam um, acted as Moses' sister within that role. She showed love and kindness. Um, Moses' mother, she resisted, she acted, she loved as a mother. And even Pharaoh's daughter, like bathing the river feels very like Pharaoh's daughtery to me, right? Like even within her role, her role of privilege, she chose to not ignore uh, what was happening. Um, and so each of these acts, as we said before, um, they added up to the child being protected, protected and being able to um, do something really great. Armas adds this, their stories are also scandalous, stories that aren't traditionally told or celebrated. 
I wonder what our churches would look like if we celebrated and emulated the faith and the knowledge of overlooked women whom God used to liberate entire peoples and challenge entire empires. And so the invitation that I see is this. In our jobs, as parents, as neighbors, children, caretakers, partners, friends, um, caretakers of creation, as the person in line at HEB or on the yoga mat, you know, the next yoga mat, school pickup line, and on and on, we have the opportunity to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God. And the key, I think, is in that walking humbly, right? As we walk with God, we begin to see ourselves as beloved in a deeper and deeper way. And then we can begin to do those things. And so it might look like going to the Capitol in protest, protection of others. It might look like making eye contact with a cashier, um, reading books to learn about people's experiences that are different than yours, making changes in response. It might look like taking care of your mental health or your physical health, taking long walks to pray, getting involved in an organization or volunteering, picking up trash, right? This could go on. Learning about where your clothes were made, making changes from there, listening to a child or someone else just a little longer than you feel like it, <laughs> right? We could go on and on of all these small acts that we can do in the lives we already have right now um, that can really make a difference. And so, like our, you know, patron saint of today has said, um, Kat Armas so beautifully says, what if we celebrated this story? Like, what if this was the story that we're telling our kids? I mean, I don't know, there's a lot of baby killing, but you know what I'm saying? We're celebrating not just the times that it was, I don't know, within the way we've been taught, like not just kind of that confined box, but like, I don't know, here's a really messy story and a lot of things happening in it. And so, to celebrate the women who had no voice but used what they had to change the course of an entire people group? What if we were curious to imagine what it might look like to be a church who celebrates and emulates the faith of these women? I don't know. It's easy to get stuck in a cycle of thinking that our voices don't matter, um, but I don't think it's true. We may not see it in our lifetime, right? I was really moved by something I read that talked about so many things that have taken like hundreds of years. And so my acts to change, you know, for gun reform is probably not going to be now, maybe not in my lifetime, but these things can add up and be changes. Um, and so we're going to move into communion. Mandy's going to lead us. And I just want you to give this time um, to remind yourself first that you're loved so much by God and to also remember that God calls us and shows us through stories like this um, that small acts of love and resistance um, can and do make a big difference. Let me say a short prayer and then we'll... God, we are thankful. Um, I am thankful for messy stories like this because there's just a lot of hope in it that our own messy lives can also lead um, to love and to change. And I just pray that um, we're able to stick with you for just... Two more songs for communion. Just stick and, and, and stay with this story and stay with um, our imaginations of how our lives can, um, just small things we can do, God, to, to honor um, other people. Amen.